gives all your sins and heals all your sins. delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law All right. Good morning, everyone. My name's Chase, one of the pastors here at the Adventure, and I get to share with you guys this morning as we continue in the Psalms. But before I get started, if I can just open us up in prayer, and then we're going to jump right in this. So, Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the time of worship that we've had. God, that we, as we sat in your presence, as we sing worship to you, Lord, God, continue to speak to us, continue to guide us and lead us. Use your words to challenge us, God, and we just give you um, your words in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to share with you guys, and I'm going to start off with a little story. There was a young boy who walked into a store, and uh, the cashier greeted him, and, and he walked into the store, and he was going to buy some detergent to wash his cat. So he picked up a bottle of Tide and walked up to the cashier, and the cashier's like, oh, that's awesome that you help your parents around the house. Do you do laundry often? And he goes, well, no. He says, I'm using this to wash my cat. And the cashier is looking at him kind of shocked and says, you know, probably not the best thing to use is Tide to wash your cat. And the kid, like most kids, ignored him and walked out. A few days later, the young boy walked back in the store and the cashier was kind of anxious to hear what happened. So he said, hey, he said, uh, how is your cat? And the young boy kind of looked a little sad and put his head down. He said, my cat died. And the cashier was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear about that. Was it because you washed him with Tide? And he goes, no, I think it was because of the spin cycle. So, and that feeds into what I'm going to share with you guys. It says, when, when we get bombarded with problems, when stress comes in, the spin cycle can kill us quickly or kill us slowly by sucking the life out of us until we become joyless and feel defeated. Life is just like the spin cycle. When a specific event or major crisis strikes, we feel out of control and don't know what to do especially if you're in a spin cycle in my house. I think we have something wrong with our washer. And if our laundry is in any way unbalanced, it starts to shake like it feels like there's a, an earthquake or if you were here Friday, a meteor um, exploding inside our house and every one of us are running from every corner to try to hurry and stop it and balance it back up again. But sometimes life feels like a spin cycle. And, and so I'm going to share with you guys a little bit about that um, how many of us can honestly admit that this morning, or maybe the last few months, or maybe the last year, your life has been in a spin cycle? Right? Can you say that? It's been one of those years for our family. Starting out last year, just it was a week ago last year, that I went into the ICU um, with COVID and had a fight for my life. Didn't know if I was going to make it out of there. And so that was like, you know, a shock to the system and, and, and to our family. And then we went from there to almost feeling like a family crisis, dealing with that, dealing with financial crisis, dealing with physical crisis. While we were spinning out of control, my wife started reading in the Psalms and doing a study on hurry and finding rest. She found herself relying on Psalms 37 and reading it over and over and over again. That is the Psalms that we're going to be talking about this morning, in Psalm 37. And she poured over it so much that I asked her for her notes when I was going to speak this morning. But like anything she writes down for me, I'll probably only get half of it right. <laughs> right? But uh, I took some of her notes and my own notes and put this together. And so we're going to be walking through Psalms 37. 
we have to remember that Psalms itself is like a prayer book. It's for the, the exiles at that time, and it was designed as a kind of a virtual temple for them. They would read the Psalms during their captivity to recount God's faithfulness, just as Kelly kind of explained to us last week when he preached on Psalms. And it was to help them to see that they had hope and a redemption. So this psalm itself, Psalm 37, is believed to be written by David. It was written by David in his elder years. And so, so it was one of those things that he wrote with it, that wisdom of, of life experience. And if we think about David, David was even mentioned this morning as Siri got up and talked about David and, and the things that he sends. But if we think about David, we think about David killed Goliath. David was a great warrior. David won many battles, right? They, they made songs about that. They sang songs about how David was this great warrior and how he'd won so many battles. So we know this about David, that David had all these things. But if you remember, David wasn't even invited by his own family to show up when the prophet was looking for a king. He was left tending the sheep. And when Samuel finally said, is this all your sons you have? And he's like, well, there's David. He's sending the sheep. So this great warrior, this great person we think of in our mind was also kind of left out by his own family. The same David, when his brothers were out fighting battles, you know, he was kind of the DoorDash of the family. And he was asked to take them lunch to his brothers fighting the battle. Okay, so, so we know a little bit about David. We also know that David was a musician. You know what David, what did David play? The harp, right? So it's kind of, I, I thought about that. I'm like, if you guys know Tim Emerson, it's like when you meet Tim Emerson for the first time, you don't go, hmm, I wonder if he plays a string instrument. <laughs> Tim Emerson's kind of this, this I mean, he lifts, he's a, he's, a, he's a big guy. And you're more thinking, I hope I don't make this guy mad, <laughs> right? It's not like, oh, I bet he plays the cello, which he does very well. You know, and so this is kind of where David was, our mindset of David. David was a warrior who also had a deep, deep sensitive side, as can be seen not only with his relationship with Jonathan, but also can be seen as you read through the Psalms. We also remember that the Lord, what the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when he was looking for a king, he says, you know, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we're going to get to the heart of the matters in Psalms 37. In David's writings, he wrote a lot about, and he understood very well, depression. He understood anxiety. He understood betrayal. He understood loss. He understood being overwhelmed and forgotten. And Psalms 37 was actually written at that time as an acrostic. What they mean by that is, is the, the psalm itself was written in a way in the Hebrew language that every stanza was a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so it was written that way so, so the people would be able to memorize it and remember it quickly because it was alphabetical. And so it was helping them to remember A, B, you know, we don't do A, B, C, but they remember it in the Hebrew alphabet of how to recite this. That's how important it was. And so when David wrote this, he wrote it with a purpose in mind to remember it to be able to say it back and back. This psalm is actually a sermon. It's an excellent and useful sermon. It is calculated not for our devotion, but for our conversation. It's a psalm that's not there for our devotion, but it's there for our conversation, for us to talk about it, to think about it, to discuss it, 
It isn't a prayer or a praise, but it's all instruction. So David, in his elder years, was saying, if you remember anything, I'm going to help you remember it by making it an acrostic. And if you remember anything, read through this, because I want to instruct you. Instead of giving praise or crying out to God, I want to instruct you of what to do. And so that's where we're going to walk through this. It, um, you won't need to take notes this morning because all the points are going to be spelled out for you as we read through this in the first eight verses. We're not going to go through the whole Psalms. We're going to hit mainly on the first eight verses because the first eight verses basically spells out the sermon and instructions that David is trying to get at us right there. It starts off giving us seven commands found in the first eight verses. The whole thrust of the book talks about righteous versus the wicked. In a, in a book that my wife was, was reading and, and, and talked to me about, John Mark Comer, in his book called Tell No Lies, says this. He talks about our current emotional climate as believers. And he says, how many of us feel exhausted, anxiety-ridden, and overwhelmed? Can you relate? Right? Can you relate to that? He calls it a war for the souls. And that's what I want to call this sermon this morning, a war for the souls. This is a war for our souls this morning. So we feel this constant conflict, not just out there in the world. We feel it in our culture. We feel it in our digital news feeds. But inside the fabric of our own minds and bodies, there's a kind of inner tug-of-war that is emotionally exhausting and spiritually depleting a tearing at the fabric of our souls of peace. And if every one of us were honest, we can say, yeah, I feel that. I do feel like my life's been in a spin cycle or is going through the spin cycle. This week has been the worst spin cycle. Whatever that you're going through, that, that the fabric of who we are as believers is, is just being tore apart, and that's the war for our soul. So let me ask you some personal questions. And these are questions for you to just take personal inventory. You don't need to answer these out loud, but just take a personal inventory as I ask you these questions. Why do we feel so tired and worn down? Why do we feel so battered and bruised? Why does every day feel like a battle just to stay faithful and to keep following Jesus? Why does it seem like the bad guys always win. And this was the same question that David asked in this, in this psalm as you continue reading through there. That's his question about the, the righteousness versus the wicked. Why does it seem like the bad guys always win? And I'm going through all this stuff and I'm struggling to follow after Christ. The tearing of my soul. Here's an idea. For centuries, teachers of the way of Jesus use a paradigm that's been lost in the modern era. And that is a paradigm of the three enemies of the soul. And these three enemies that were taught by, by the, these, these people of the way of Jesus said that the, the enemies of the soul is the world, the flesh, and the devil. They saw these three enemies of the soul as kind of a counter trinity to God himself. Jesus doesn't use these exact, exact words, or the writers of the New Testament don't use these exact words, but the imagery of war to describe the inner dynamics of the soul were often used throughout the New Testament. Paul said this. He tells us to fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy 6.12. Then again in Ephesians, he says to put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then he goes on in Ephesians 6, 11, and he tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil, and that we have divine power to demolish strongholds, the war against the soul. So we're going to go into Psalm 37 with a lens that's going to show us what this means about this war going on in our souls. So I want you to ask yourself these questions again, different questions this time. First question is, what is sabotaging our peace? What is sabotaging our peace? For every one of us in this room, it might be something different. It might be something that's going on in this world. It might be something that's going on in your own home, at your workplace, whatever that is. But what is sabotaging our peace? The next question, why is the world in such a mess? Then, a little more personal why am I such a mess? Part of the reason that we as a church in this, this fall are going to be doing a class on Wednesday night on a, on a teaching called the Emotional Healthy Relationships is because of this. Because of this idea of everything going on around us and we kind of feel like we're spinning out of control is to have this emotional, spiritual relationships with one another to help us walk through all these things that we're facing. Another question, in what ways do I feel worn down right now? Over the past year, how has it been a battle to stay faithful to follow Jesus for you? So we're going to start off reading in Psalms chapter 37. Um, I have to find it real quick here. It'll be up on the, the board there for you guys to follow. It's amazing. I see better without my glasses on. But then I can't see you guys, so that's no fun. So we're going to hit the first few verses. And the first two, two verses are going to represent our first point, which is don't fret. Psalm 37 says this. Again, like I said, these, these verses preach themselves. But it starts off saying, do not fret because of the evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. So the first words that are given here in Psalms chapter 37 are the words, don't fret. The word fret is the word chara. And it means to grow warm, to blaze up, to be angry, or to be incensed. Or an easier way to put it is to be worked up or to worry. To be worked up or to worry. So we think about that. How many of us struggle with the worries of this life? struggles with our own worries of what's going on, all these different things. And so he starts off and he gives us this, this first command. And the first command is telling us what not to do. This first command that we're reading out of these, these seven commands, the first one is telling us what not to do. And the other commands will be hard to accomplish without the first command. So the first command is telling us what not to do. And if you can't get past this first command, the others you won't be able to accomplish. And the others will also help you to get past the first command. Does that make sense? So the first command, you need these others to get past that first command. And you can't do these other commands without that first command. So it's a cycle that is happening right here. So he starts off telling us, do not fret. Or if you want to sing with me that famous song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> a little song I wrote. I sing it note for note. 
right? It's just catchy. Don't worry, be happy. So we're going to talk about that. Do not fret, do not worry. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. He doesn't narrow down. He says, but do not be anxious about anything. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 6, 34, to do not worry. So this first one is a command. Do not fret. Do not worry. Fretting or worrying is a choice. We cannot control what thoughts enter our minds, but we can control which thoughts we dwell on. Right? We can't always stop which thoughts go into our mind, but we can, we can, we can challenge ourselves, and we have a choice on what thoughts we dwell on. And what happens a lot of time with worry is we start to dwell on those thoughts. And as we dwell on those thoughts, that war begins with inside of us. Do not worry. What David does next is he takes us through these next six commands and tells us how to obey the first one. So David's going to walk us through saying, okay, do not worry, do not fret. And I'm going to tell you how not to worry and how not to fret. And so we're going to take you through the next six commands. So he begins in verses, verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures. So trust in the Lord and do good. So the first two commands that he gives next is not telling us what not to do. He's now telling us what to do. So these first two commands is trust in the Lord and do good. Trust is the ability to believe in God's truth and his ability and his strength. And if you read there, it doesn't say be good because no one's good, but it says do good. And as you trust in the Lord, you do good. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So who will make your path straight? He will, right? So again, if you're worrying, if you're, you're, you're being pulled down by the fret, the first thing he says is you need to trust in God. And I remember as I was laying in the hospital and I had this mask on my face and they were pumping oxygen down my, my lungs, trying to keep my, get my lungs to function again. And, and the, the, the word that ran through my mind through the whole time I was in the hospital was, do you trust me? Do you trust me? So here God is. It's easy to worry. It's easy to think, man, I don't know. But here God is saying the very first thing is to trust God and to do good. These two steps are inseparable. Neither can exist without the other. If you think about it, faith and trust are verbs. They are a lifestyle and they involve action. There's something that you have to do in faith and trust. I I tell my young people, if, if faith is not tested, it's just a hypothesis. If your faith isn't tested, it's just a hypothesis. It's something you may claim to have, but you don't really test it, so you don't know. Real faith always, always includes obedience. And obedience includes doing good things that God commands. I mean, that's why they go hand in hand. That's why he said, trust God and do good. Trusting God and doing good cannot be separated 
The Galatians were told to be good to all people, especially believers. So there's the, the, the first thing that David tells us to do if you want to get rid of the worry and the fret in your life is to trust God and to do good. And then he takes us on into verse 4. And like I said, man, this, this chapter just preaches itself. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord is the next point. So if I trust God and I do good, I need to delight myself in the Lord. It is as much of a privilege as it is a duty to delight yourself in the Lord. There's a high degree of gratification or pleasure in delighting in something. A high degree of gratification or pleasure. So let me ask ask you this question to think for yourself is what do I delight in? What brings me delight? What do I delight in? And a lot of times, you know, we think about it, and, and the thing that doesn't bring us delight is we're so stressed about what we don't have. And we think if I had this or I had more of that, then I'd have more of this delight in these things. But what do you truly delight in? If knowing God is not our highest joy and highest delight, then we do not know God very well. And why is it that we don't know God very well? Because we haven't invested the time in getting to know him. So the more you know about God, the more that you delight in God. The less you delight in God means the less you know about God. And so here it is saying, okay, if you want to, to worry less about what's going on in your life or what's going on around you, you know, to trust God and do good and then delight yourself in the Lord. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Then we wonder why we worry and fret and have trouble trusting in God and doing good because we don't delight in the Lord. This command is the first command in here that has a promise. And throughout scripture, there's different commands that God gives. Not every one of them he gives has a promise, but this one has a promise. And what will happen if we delight ourselves in the Lord? It says that he will give you the desires of your heart if you're delighting yourself in the Lord. But let me say it this way. When we delight in God, then our desires of our heart will line up with God's will. And when our desires line up with God's will, God can safely give us the desires of our heart. So this isn't saying if you desire in God, he's going to give you whatever you want. Because is that God's will for us? No, but as as we long to desire God, our desire lines up with his will, and his will is what we desire for our life. It goes hand in hand. It feeds into one another. Without God, our desires can be way off. Way off. In fact, when we delight in God, we desire increased intimacy with God. And God is happy to fulfill our desire for increased intimacy with himself. Does that make sense? Here he is, his promise. If you delight in God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And if your desire is to delight in God, he'll give you that desire. And you'll get to know him better. And you'll begin to trust him more. You'll start to do more good. So then he continues on. Actually, it says, we can measure our worry level against our spending time with God level. So if we had a balancing act and we looked at our worry level and our worry level is really high, most of the time you look at your delighting yourself in God and, your, and, and this kind of stuff. And, and the delighting yourself in God level is usually pretty low. 
because we're so stressed out in the spin cycle. We're so stressed out in the worry and what we're going through and how we can get through this. But if we start to look at it and say, you know what, if I spend more time with God, it seems that my worry level and my fret level begins to go down because of my desire level with God is going up. Doesn't mean he takes away your problem, but it says that he will then sustain us by trusting in him and desiring to be with him. So then he goes on in verse five and six. And he says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. So commit your way to the Lord. To commit your way to the Lord means to roll something on to something else. To commit means you roll something on to something else. First Peter 5, 7 puts it this way. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So as you cast your cares on him, casting our cares on God means we roll our burdens onto him. The reason that we have the cross is because that is our place to roll our burdens onto him. Our sins onto him, our anxieties onto him, our fears onto him. This committing your way to the Lord is rolling all these things to God. So casting our cares on God, rolling our burdens onto the Lord, that is what David means when he tells us to commit our way to the Lord. So how do we commit our way to the Lord? By first of all, going to God in prayer, taking our problems to the foot of the cross, leaving our problems there with God, seeking God's presence, and then trusting God's will and God's timing. That's how we commit our way to the Lord. So here we are, we're trusting in God and doing good. We're delighting ourselves in the Lord. Next thing we do is we commit our way to the Lord. And then the next one is the, the fifth commandment that feeds into the first commandment is one that we struggle with probably a lot. And this is found in, in verse seven. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then he reminds us again of that statement he, let, he gave us in the first command. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. So we have be still, or the word rest, and wait patiently for him. This is a lost art in our generation. Did you know that before the light bulb was invented, people would spend 10 to 12 hours sleeping? 10 to 12 hours sleeping before the light bulb was invented. Just think how much less sleep we got when the phone was invented, the cell phone, right? I mean, it was, it was one thing for, for there not to be any light, so people slept more, and then that changed as the light bulb came along, and now it changed even more because we have cell phones that we sit on for hours just scrolling through when we should be sleeping, right? So be still, rest, and wait patiently for him. Uh, the pastors, we meet on Tuesday, and we were sitting in Starbucks talking a little bit, and Kule brought the scripture that, that really spoke something to her, and it was a, talking about Elijah. And we know the prophet Elijah, and, and that he had done some amazing things, and the thing that he had just done is he had just called fire down from heaven. Okay, if you know the story of Elijah, he called fire down from heaven, and it just consumed this altar. And all these other 
priests that were supposed to be trying to bring fire down from heaven were all destroyed because uh, their gods wouldn't bring fire down, but Elijah did. So for me, I mean, if I said, called fire down and he destroyed, I'd be like, dude, God is awesome. This is incredible. So not only did he do that, but then when he left there, it said that he picked up his skirt or whatever it is, you know, his, his outfit, but he picked up and he outran a chariot. Right? That's pretty impressive. Then, as he's going on his journey, he was so wiped out that they said an angel appeared and baked him bread. I need an angel like that looking out for me. Right? <laughs> and so he had an angel that baked him some bread. And then he got to this point where he is still trying to hear the voice of God. And it said he stood out on a mountainside to hear from God. And God was not in the earthquake, God was not in the fire, God was not in the wind but in the gentle whisper. And in that gentle whisper, God asked him twice, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Be still and rest patiently for him. We're going to do the lesson of the face. Raise your hand if you have a face. I hope everybody raises their hand, right? The lesson of the face is God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we talk. And how many of us, when we go into prayer, we talk quite a bit, and we don't listen very well to hear the voice of God, to wait patiently and to rest in him, to be still and to rest. Dallas Willard says this, hurry is the great enemy of our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Our life group has been going through this um, before summer hit, and we kind of got scattered a little bit. But we've been going through this study on Right Now Media that, that talks about this, about eliminating hurry from your life, the ruthless elimination of hurry. And we live in a life that is all about hurry. When I get into the, my car and I have no agenda of getting home, I'm still in a hurry for some reason. And I'm like racing people, you know? <laughs> And trying to get to a point which there's not a timetable on it or anything else. You know, we live in this life, in this lifestyle of hurry, hurry to the next thing, hurry to the next thing. And go, go, go. We don't know what life would be without that. You know, we, we, we cry out, God, give us two more hours, but we would fill those two hours with just more hurry. And here God is telling us to, or David is telling us in this Psalms to, to rest in him. Jesus doesn't promise an easy life, but he does promise an easy yoke. And how I know this is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What are we talking about today? The war of our souls. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. And then he says this, for my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light. So he doesn't promise you an easy life, but he does promise you an easy yoke. So resting on him. So if you think about this, I just think we found the answer to the war for our souls the war of our souls and these promises and these commands that are given to us to help us not to worry, 
Help us not to fret. So what does David do here? He reminds us again for the third time, do not fret. Do not worry for the third time. And he gives us the last command here found in verse 8. So we have, how do we not fret? Is we trust in the Lord and do good. We commit our ways to the Lord. We be still, or we make, we, we delight in the Lord. We be still before the Lord. And the last one, it says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Again, do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those whose hope is in the Lord will inherit the land. Where's your hope? So to refrain means to stop yourself. To stop yourself. We all get angry, right? If we're honest, we all get angry. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So again, remember those three things that they talked about that go against who God is in our life. It talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. It says, do not give evil a foothold. So the middle five commands help you with the last command, which again reminds you of the first command. So it's this big circle. The middle five commands help you and remind, help you with the last command, which again reminds you of the first command, to not fret. So like I said, man, this, this, this chapter is something that you should have bookmarked. And every time you're going through those moments of being in the spin cycle, you're like, I got to get out sermon Psalm 37. And I got to reread this again because David has given me some wisdom right here and I need to hear it all over again. And I need to take inventory of my life and say, man, am I following your commands? Am I doing the things I need to be doing? Do not worry. How? Trust in the Lord and do good. Do not worry. How? Delight yourself in the Lord. Do not worry. How? Commit your ways to the Lord. Roll things over to him and don't pick them back up. Do not worry. How? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him, which in return helps us not to become angry, where he reminds us again not to fret because it only leads to evil. And as you read on in this chapter, it goes on, and it talks about the battle between the righteous and the wicked. And if you read in, in our, on our webpage, and, and if you go to some of the Bible studies, we have a reading plan set up for the church, and you go on our, our web and find that reading plan, and it's taking you through the Bible in a year. And if you're reading the reading plan this last year, um, basically this, this, what we're talking about, Psalm 37, that was talked about in Jeremiah. And I'm going to read what it says in Jeremiah chapter 12. It's the same thing that Jeremiah was facing that David's talking about. And it's found in verses 1 through 3 of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah's complaint. It says, you are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. 
They grow and they bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. You know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. So Jeremiah, just like David, is saying, why does it seem like evil always wins? And yet, as David's talking about that, he starts it all off, though, with reminding himself and reminding us to not to worry, not to fret. So the war of the soul. I challenge you to keep on reading the rest of the chapter since we only have time for the first part this morning. And I felt like if we get the first part, we'll understand the second part so much more. So as I close up here, I'm going to ask you some some questions. Seven steps to stop fretting at the wicked and at this world. Seven steps to surviving the spin cycle of life. Seven steps to enjoying God and God's peace in the storms of life. I want you to think about these seven steps. So the next time you find yourself worrying about the things of this life, take out your Bible and your pen and reread verses one through eight. And I want you to write down your thoughts. And that's what we're going to do right now. Is I want you to, when you're facing the stresses of this life and you're fretting and you're worrying about finances and you're worrying about health and you're worrying about your family and you're worrying about the world or whatever you're worrying about, whatever's stressing you out, whatever's getting on you, remember this, this, this sermon and you pull out your pen and you say, okay, I'm going to write down what am I worrying about right now? What's weighing me down right now? And write it out. And then you ask yourself the next question. How am I trusting in the Lord in this situation? How am I trusting the Lord in this situation? And you write down. And if you're not trusting me, you're like, God, how can I trust you in this situation? How can I put my trust in you? The third thing, what good am I doing in this situation? What good am I doing in this situation? Am I doing anything at all? Or am I just sitting here talking about how bad the situation is? Because we can talk about it real well. But it really affects us when we have to do something about it. And then ask yourself, am I delighting myself in the Lord? Or am I stressed out about my worry, about my fret, about what I'm, what I'm dealing with? Am I delighting myself in the Lord? How can I delight myself in the Lord? What are the things that God has done in my life? How has God changed my life? What is God doing around me? Because there's so many ways to delight in the Lord if we're not wrapped up in what we're worrying about or what we're fretting about. Then I want you to write down the next thing, which is commit your ways to the Lord. Am I taking my problems before the foot of the cross and leaving them there? Am I rolling them off at the foot of the cross or am I taking them before God and then picking them back up and walking back out the door with them? Meaning they're my problems. I still got to deal with these. Or am I leaving them at the foot of the cross? Am I rolling them off? Am I committing them before the Lord? Number six, and then it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. What is God? So you write that down. And what is God speaking to you right now? Shut off all your devices. Word of God even tells us to go into a, a secret place. Go into a place that, that, that we can't be disturbed. And sit there quietly saying, God, what 
through all of this I'm going through, what are you speaking to me right now? And you're like, Chase, but I'm going through some horrible things. I'm struggling with the loss of my life or I'm struggling with this and I'm worrying about all these different things. But have you taken time to listen to to God and what he's speaking to you? And the last thing is to refrain from anger. You ask yourself, am I giving the devil a foothold in this situation? Am I giving the devil a foothold in this situation? And then remind yourself, just as David did, do not fret. Do not fret. So if you'd close your eyes with me, I'm going to pray over you guys. And uh, we're going to have a baptism after the service. We have a few people getting baptized. But I want you to think about the things that were shared this morning. Not my sermon, because I just reiterated what David preached to us. And it isn't something that it is, is just a devotion for us. This is something to be talked about. This is something to think about. This is something to write down of what God is doing. And so as you close your eyes, I want you to just, in, in your own mind, think about the things that are weighing you down. Think about that illustration of the spin cycle and what is sucking the life out of you. What is draining you from this joy and this delight in who God is? What is taking it away from you? What is the the have-nots that drain us because we don't have? So as you're thinking in your own mind, think about those things that are weighing heavily on us, and I I just want to pray for you guys that we would get to a point of, of taking the Psalms, even if it is when you get home today, saying, God, how can you help me? How can I do these commands you've given to me? To not worry, to not fret. So Father God, we come before you this morning. God, we are so overwhelmed by your words. God, you give us our words not to condemn us, but to lift us up. And God, this is such a basic sermon that that David laid out in his his older years of saying, you guys got to get hold of this. You guys got to understand this. And so, God, you know the worries that are going on in this room right now. You know the things that are weighing us down. You know the things that we think about that don't have a place in our life. And God, instead of fretting of those things, Lord, how can we trust in you? How can we do good? How can we delight in you, Lord? How can we commit to you, Lord? How can we roll these things that are weighing us down onto you? God, how can we do these things? So God, I pray this morning that you would, as we're sitting in this room, God, help us to roll these things off onto you and say, God, I don't want to take them home with me. I don't want these things to weigh me down anymore, Lord. I don't want to carry these things around with me. It doesn't mean the easy life, but it does mean an easy yoke. And now I have someone else that's carrying them with me and it's helping me through them and getting me past them. So God, I pray for everyone in this room this morning, whether you're hearing the gospel for the first time and realizing that you can bring your knees before the cross or whether you've heard it over and over again and yet you still have those worries in your life and you're like, God, help me to quiet myself and spend time with you. So God, I give you everyone in this room right now. God, help us to rejoice in a few minutes as we rejoice in those that are committing their life to you and showing the world that they're a new person. 
because of you, God. But Lord, help us to leave this room and let Psalm 37 be something that's on our lips on a daily basis. Just as the, the people were, were challenged to memorize it, God, help us to challenge to memorize these few seven points in our walk with you. So Lord, we give you this morning in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. And so we thank you guys for being here this morning. We thank you for being a part of the sermon. Um, God bless each and every one of you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you, guys.